Okay, get it. Okay, so how did the pandemic, COVID-19, 2021-22, epitomize the failure of our public health system? Well, I guess, I hope it epitomized that we never had anything like that to begin in the first place, right? When we, there's a lot of words that we use to say things that I don't think a lot of us sometimes understand. I didn't understand, um, even being within healthcare. Right. What does it mean to care? What does health care actually mean? What does public health actually mean? And when you think about what, what it takes for people to be healthy in the first place, we actually don't have any, any of that infrastructure and that can't be created in the middle of a disaster. Uh, we live in a society where people think, you know, normal, whatever they consider to be normal, is something that we've normalized. We've normalized living under brutal oppression. We've normalized living in a society where we don't have the right to live. So thinking about that a little bit, you know, none of us choose to be born, but once we are, we're told that we actually have to earn the right to live. So we have to earn the right to access basic survival resources like, like food, water, shelter, community care, pe like just love, support. Um, and all of those things are equally important for us to survive and thrive. Um, our needs aren't actually hierarchical. <laughs> Uh, our needs are equally important. So we need food, water, shelter, just as much as we need love and community care and collectivism, right? We rely on each other. We're fundamentally collectivist, interdependent species. And not just, not just on other people, our health is directly tied to the health of every single living and non-living being in our ecosystem. So our health is tied to plants, animals, microbes, the land that we live on, the water that we can access. And essentially what capitalism has done is commod commodified and objectified all of us, right? So what that means is it's taken everything on this planet and called it worthless until otherwise, worthless until it can be extracted and exploited for profit. And that includes people, right? So people have to sell our bodies and minds in the form of labor to earn the right to live. But the earth has to prove itself, right? The earth has to be extracted from endlessly in order for profit to be generated for a few. And that's what makes it valuable. And that's the framework of the society that we live in, that no one actually has inherent worth. Nothing is inherently valuable. Nothing is inherently worth caring for. So we live in a society that doesn't actually have any infrastructure for us to have any sort of healthcare to begin with. And then in the pandemic, I think people just realized, oh, good God, this is a multi-point system failure on all fronts, right? Not just from the perspective of caring for our health, but why did the virus even emerge in the way that it did in the first place, right? It was a direct result of, of the climate crisis. It was a direct result of capitalism endlessly extracting from our planet to no end to the point where our Earth cannot regenerate itself. And we have widespread habitat destruction and all of that, right? All of that has led to industrialization, urbanization, destruction of so much of our forests has led to microbes and human beings and plants and animals living in a pressure cooker, essentially, where we're forced to reckon with all of these stressors that are emerging constantly. And we know what that looks like for us, right? Oppression kills people either slowly or fast. So either you have, you know, we're living in a society where everyone's depressed and anxious or people are just dying of starvation. It's just different. Uh, different sides of the same spectrum, right? Uh, we're, we're living in a society where everything about it is we're constantly, we're waking up, we're doing the same thing, we're on a hamster wheel and we work and we, we go to bed, but we don't actually have any free time or free will or autonomy, which is exactly what you need to be able to be healthy. You need to be connected to the land that you're on and to everything living within it. And we don't actually have time to do any of that. Um, and that's very selective. Uh, it's very intentional. It's how capitalism is designed in the first place. And that's basically what COVID was. It was, it was an amalgamation of all that coming together to hopefully make it more clear to people that what was normal was never okay to begin with. Uh, we've normalized it, but that's just how, that's trauma, right? Anything can be normalized if it's titrated enough over a long period of time. You've been born into this world and it's all you've ever known, right? And that, that, that's why it's normal, because it's all we've ever been exposed to, but not because it's the only thing that's possible. The old world is ending. And we have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the systemic problems in our world. And the real solutions we have today. To transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse. To create an abundantly advanced collaborative society. That sustains all life. You may think it's an impossible dream. But the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Matt Holton, Amanda Smith, and Zachary Marlowe. And together, we can move past this economic absurdity and come together to actualize our collective potential to create something completely new. We are Mindless Society. Society.
Before we dive into another revolutionary dialogue, I want to encourage everyone listening or watching to help keep Moneyless Society free by supporting us on Patreon or through a one-time or recurring tax-deductible donation through our website. All of this is a labor of love, a gift, but we can't keep it going without your support. Help us sow seeds of that new world and get involved with our organization to help them grow. Remember, the light bulb was invented by candlelight. We critique these systems while depending on them because there is no alternative. Okay, we're live. Um, I don't have a, a high energy, bombastic intro today. Um, today's about healing. <laughs> <laughs> it's about it's about going beyond that. We're all here in our little our little uh, podcast setups with our you know headsets and our mics and our little. <laughs> Like like we're like we're uh, in our, our little spaceship going to mm -hmm. take down the Death Star. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, today's episode is about a simple question, but a big question, one that's literally too big for the episode we set out for. But or we've got the perfect person to deal with that, and that question is, how is capitalism bad for us on a personal, physical, mental health basis? How's capitalism bad for our health? So. Today we have like actually the most perfect person that I know on the planet, not just that I know in my little Rolodex of radical comrades, but on the planet to talk about this, we have the one, the only Aisha Khan, woke scientist. She was, she's like the, the, the nightmare of all neoliberals and conservatives. She is like everything that they are afraid of. Educated in the existing systemic, you know, fucking pedigrees in, in the hard record. He is a fucking radical organizer, a decolonist to the soul, somebody that has tasted and felt the fucking claw <laughs> fire in her for her entire life, who has just turned that into what I call uh, a fire hose of revolutionary sound bites. So that's um, <laughs> what we're up for today. So Aisha, take it away. I think somewhere to get started that can be really simple is the word health um, is one of those words that we just talk about, like we know what it means. But when you actually start asking yourself, what does it mean to be healthy? Uh, I think it's kind of a black hole. Um, like when you ask yourself, who is considered healthy, who isn't? Uh, what do we need to be healthy? Like what kind of world do we actually need to live in to have some baseline level of, of health? Um, and also health, uh, when, when I say the word health, people think of it in a very individualistic sort of individual personal health way. Um, but our health is inextricably tied to the health of the rest of our ecosystems, right? The land and plants, animals, microbes, everything that, that is within our ecosystem. And I think that's a good place to start just to think about like, what would we even need to have some level of health? And capitalism is essentially a society that doesn't have any baseline conditions for health, right? Um, we live in a society that doesn't give us the right to live. Um, we have to earn that right. So um, and I, I, I don't even want to go into like um, having a hierarchy of needs because there isn't, right? Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a colonial sort of myth. Um, we need food, water, shelter just as much as we need love, community care, um, relationships. Like those are all equal in terms of their uh, priority and what we need to survive and thrive, not just like get by every day, right? Um, and capitalism essentially is... Uh, 21st century colonialism. So the things that we need to be healthy, it can also be harder to even like get to that answer when we d haven't really ever had it, <laughs> right? We've never had guaranteed survival. Uh, we've never had, uh, we weren't born into a society where we were connected to our land, right? Like we are the most separated people <laughs> in these living in little cement boxes, separated from each other, separated from the rest of our ecosystem, separated from the land. Um, so it's even harder to figure out what you don't have because it's it's easier to look at like overt violence and think of like, oh yeah, obviously it's bad. Um, but when you, the absence of something is almost harder to figure out. Um, and I think that's essentially what capitalism does. It's a lifetime of just being in fight or flight, right? Um, trying to earn the right to live. And that very obviously will uh, dramatically impact our overall health uh, when we're, like you just kind of said, when we're being commodified and turned into objects and all of us are being objectified, right? Turned into objects that can be extracted and exploited for profit. No wonder our land's unhealthy because uh, the planet is exponentially being extracted from 
So I guess the lack of sustainability and the lack of care, not just to human beings, but the land itself, right? The lack of care put into stewarding lands is a great, like, <laughs> a great recipe for disaster where everyone's health is then impacted and it can't be separated from each other too. I, I filmed, nice. I should say that like 10 different, 10 Thank times, you. 10 different ways at the CDC uh, <laughs> when we met up in Atlanta to, uh, to film ra Radical Rants for the movie. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's so powerful. You were talking about how the way that we're overworked, our microbiology is overworked as well. And this really just epitomizes and, and gets down to the, like the deep root of the ways that like stress and trauma and diet and food and air quality and all of these things cycle together. I mean, we talk a lot on this program and this little movement we got here going here, this little anti-capitalist, post-capitalist movement to uh, talk about how things are connected, how everything is connected. So yeah, the way that Western medicine tries to make sense of health is mm -hmm. wait till you get sick and then squirt something in you. <laughs> Well, and, and not just wait till you get sick, right? It's almost uh, sickness is, is more profitable than health. Um, there's a reason like public health is just dramatically underfunded, not just underfunded. It's like what 2% of this country, uh, country's funding, governmental funding uh, goes into public health. Um, and again, if you think about the entire model of capitalism, right, it's profit maximization. More profit is good. Um, it'll never be profitable to keep people healthy, uh, to keep, and it goes fundamentally against the model of, of like having any sort of uh, land health is in fundamental opposition to capitalism, right? Capitalism's goal is endless extraction, put the least in to get the most out. Uh, so put the least amount of care into the land, right? But maximize yield, get the most amount of crops. Like you have giant monocrop farms, right? Same thing to the individual, right? Don't actually care about people. Don't give them food, water, shelter, uh, manipulate them into earning that, M manipulate them into just willingly being indentured servants, essentially. Um, and then you can keep extracting, keep extracting, keep extracting. When they fall out of line, so when they're too sick to go to work, um, the most you can do is essentially patch them back up to send them back out into the conditions that made them sick in the first place, right? Um, yeah, Amanda, I see you raising your hand. Because <laughs> I just want to speak to everything you're saying there. And just now you made a wonderful point about how when people get sick, you know, patch them up, send them back out into the battlefield of earning a living. And I think that speaks to also how people who are um, permanently or semi-permanently incapacitated, such as people on um, disability, are treated uh, and swept under the rug, as they say, because they can't produce for the system and they can't consume from the system. So they are, therefore, useless to the system. Them and and treated like they're disposable, but more so than the rest of us. Um, and uh, that part of the public health system is probably the biggest bane of all of its existence. But I love how in the beginning your your um, spill there started with how this system is anti-life at its core, and that inherently omits any 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 level of public health that we could hope for, as you were saying, pretty much. But I think putting it in those terms really brings it home the way that you explained all of that like we can't have public health uh or any level of effectiveness within that uh sector of the system if we are if we start out at the gate completely disconnected from the the chain of life that we're a part of like if we don't live as interconnected beings with this earth and all of the living organisms on it let alone with each other health is not ever going to be in the picture yeah, and I think I want people to even start thinking bigger about like, I mean, to answer the first point, I think society disables us all, but to different extents, right? right. Um, again, we're all just put on a ladder hierarchies in terms of how productive each of us are, right? And everyone is disabled since, well, 99% of us are. Um, but I feel like people are starting to sort of maybe even see that ability is tied directly to your ability to uh, participate in generating profit for the elite and rich, right? So it's not correlated with um, anything else, like real, real meaningful jobs in terms of like providing for your community that has nothing to do with it. It's more people are doing made up jobs, right? Um, but also, I think even thinking stepping back um, to understanding like, what is the purpose of the healthcare system? Right? Why is it here? Um, the context of every system that is within our dominant society right now, so from police prisons to the education system, uh, to healthcare systems, all of those, right, governments, nation states, their structure, 
they're all colonial systems. All of them are, right? From how we farm to how we eat our food, everything is a colonial system now, and we're forced to rely on them. And there's serious consequences, because then you think about it, like what kind of system would come out of an empire, right? Whose goal is to dominate, to extract, exploit, control, and subjugate. Um, there is no, like, what, what kind of, but, but I think it's kind of um, worse for healthcare systems because there's this illusion of humanitarianism, right? Um, people talk about how medicine and science are inherently benevolent systems that are doing the best for humanity, that are doing the best uh, their races. Right. Well, and I mean, not even just not if they're for profit, the whole foundation to begin with, right? Uh, right. You can't just take away capitalism and separate it because capitalist systems are colonial systems. And so the point. goal going in, like when you ask why was it created, it was created one, like we just talked about, to patch people up so you continue to have a, a stream of workers. You need a stream of workers. You can't get workers, uh, the vast majority of workers to be too sick, right? You need them to get them back up somehow. Um, and also as a method of population control and, and subjugation. So when people fall out of line in different ways, I think that's where uh, psychiatry serves that purpose of pathologizing their distress, right? So it's it's not just that it's not meant to work for you. It was actually designed to have a very insidious purpose, right? So one, to profit off of sickness. Uh, there is nothing more profitable than sick people. Um, you can eternally, like from pharmaceutical industries to medical procedures, right? It's a goldmine, technically, of, of profit. Um, go ahead. To speak really quickly to that, to that and to define colonization. And this, this I, read a, I found a book on the streets here of New York City last year when I was here, um, called uh, power and quiescence or something something about coal miners and like asking the question why don't they rise up why don't they sh shake off the yoke and stand up straight and you know you know shake the parasite off and it was it it really redefined how i view colonization because it's not just countries afar they talked about how Appalachia is a giant sacrifice zone, a place where the health and the ecosystem of the entire place is just literally blown up. They blow up mm -hmm. the top of the mountains. Mm -hmm. They shoot coal dust into the air. All the kids have asthma. They just sacrifice the lifestyle, the quality, and the value, the inherent value of all these people so that they can extract profits from them and send them way the fuck far away. I mean, this can even happen. I mean, we, our sense of scale, when we look at the map and we see these nice, neatly drawn lines that everything seems all nice and bifurcated and sensical, even though there's no sense to the way that we, we cut this place up other than just, I want this piece here, I want this. So it's like these, these systems exist to, to, take, uh, to, to, to suck life from very far away. That's essentially colonization. What a, what a colony is. It's this parasite with a straw. You know, it's very very far away, and it says your life doesn't matter. You exist actually to sustain me. So one of the darkest things in this book was that after they blew the mountaintops up and they they sucked everything out of their own fucking people that they possibly could, and after the coal industry started to dwindle because it's obviously destroying the planet as it's destroying our own bodies, that the industry that swept up in there that came in there to keep profiting off of those human beings in that sacrifice zone that colony was the pharmaceutical companies because they left these people with all this pain and all this hurt and this anguish and they, the they, opioid they just continued crisis. to they continued to profit off of their pain the pain that they created yeah and i mean that's exactly how capitalism works right it tells you quote unquote non-solutions to the problems it creates that's how it creates entire indus industries it makes everyone into a consumer that way right so uh so that's how a lot of psychiatry works by even yes. literally fabricating made up uh things like now that have been disproven like the chemical imbalance myth only because the drug they're trying to s uh, sell you increases one neurotransmitter so they need to somehow convince you that you're sad because you have the lack of a neurotransmitter so it's always inverse right they first find something they want to market and then they need to create demand for it somehow um, and that's essentially how all of medicine works, but I think it can be more obvious with mental health diagnoses. Um, but all of medicine basically serves to not just profit off of sickness, but if you're like blaming people for their, for their sickness, right, that's a really good way to maintain oppression because you tell, like, if they're hurting, it's your fault. You're it's blaming not the system, it's individual. You. Right. Instead of the system, yeah, and the right. environment. And that's how medicine works, right? It addresses health in a vacuum in individuals as though they're unaffected by their everything else around them. If I can piggyback off that really quick, Marlo, because I know you're waiting to say something. I'm going to um, have things to say the whole time here. We're, we all are. Uh, Even though non I could literally just leave the room and you guys could just crush an episode and I'll just listen back like, <laughs> well, oh, fuck yeah. This is well, our guests certainly could. <laughs> um, Non-solution. <laughs> I am loving that term so much and especially in conjunction to uh, – 
with the, the medical system that we have today. Uh, myself personally, having family members who are neurodivergent, who've been through the mill of the medical system and the disability system, seeing how, again, you are absolutely treated utterly like nothing more than a number and how many numbers that you can produce. Um, the, the non-solutions that we've encountered um, have sadly been in the places that we went searching for solutions, as is common. Um, but I, I just, I, though I'm never surprised these days, I'm, I'm never not disappointed when we are, say, in the mental health service realm, and all we get are more and more nudges and coping mechanisms to help us be productive with, you know, like in-system solution type stuff. Like this is how we can make sure that you can work nine to five versus let's talk about how having to go to work and be around people and do things that are monotonous is affecting your mental health. Let's talk about how you're not getting paid enough to pay your rent to keep you from being stressed and how that might be affecting your mental health. You know, let's talk about how you're being oppressed because of your, your ethnics or um, your, your, your background, your, your criminal history or whatever, which was probably arbitrary too. And let's just talk about how that's affecting your mental health. But no, it's all just about, let's let you talk to us about your problems for a little while and tell you how to get back to work and pay your bills and live a normal life. And that is the biggest non-solution for me that um, right. I think needs to be addressed. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just so, so, um, that's kind of all, all how all of medicine works, right? So not to say that there aren't selective tools that have been beneficial that have come out of like medicine in the current shape and form, right? Like antibiotics, great vaccines, great. But I think those have emerged not because of capitalism, despite it, right? Because as human beings uh, that care, there are people within frameworks of medicine that went into it like me early on, right? Very much convinced that we're going to help our community is very much convinced that it is possible for us to work within the framework of the system um, to redirect resources, et cetera. So there has been some innovation that has come out just due to human altruism, right? That we care and but you can almost imagine how much innovation hasn't happened as a result of, of profit maximization being the goal, right? I think that's one way to think about it because there's never a binary. It's not kind of like, let's just get rid of everything that medicine has come up with, right? Um, but also speaking to like it's a very colonial way of looking at health, right? So besides there being no conditions for health in the first place, another binary is sort of the separation of the mind and body, right? Uh, this idea that's concocted that mental health is this distinct realm that is unrelated to our to our physical well-being, right? In the same way where individual health is separate from community health, human health is separate from land health, right? It's all these divisions, and if you think of where that comes from, divide and conquer works really well, right? To say that, hey, we can keep extracting from the land and drill for oil, that will not do anything to your health, don't worry, right? We can destroy the planet that you live on, and somehow, still, you'll be healthy, right? That's the, that's um, the thesis of extraction. Like, right. it's infinite, and, and that's the, same... the thesis of infinite growth. Right, and in the same vein, mind and body separation are not really a thing, right? Like, you can't... Um, you're, since we're since we're born, our, our health has been desecrated by the conditions that we've lived under, right? And I even now push back against the binary of like neurodivergent, neurotypical, because it is bioessentialist, right? And that's another thing medicine does. It tries to reduce our problems to biological um, biological defects and disorders, or even the idea that there can be clean biological separations, kind of like what Marlo talked about. It's not just nation states, right? apply that same model of made up borders and divisions to what we are led to believe that there's clear biological differences between people, right? You can put some people in one box, one people in the other. And now we have people believing that like capitalism works for some people, the quote unquote neurotypicals, and it just doesn't work for other people when that's not true, right? We no don't like boxes around here. Right. And no one is, no one's health is thriving because they're being turned into, uh, you know, robotified automatons. No one is supposed to work in a cubicle for, for nine hours a day. No one is supposed to be exploited and extracted, even if they're yeah. not necessarily saying that they identify under these like categories, right? Everyone right. is really sick. We've just normalized how sick we are. And that, pardon the pun, is the sickening part. Yeah, that's that's something I can like, that's my life experience. You know, if anybody asks like what radicalized you or whatever, it's like it's being told that I am sick for having a brain that is different. That is like capitalism's, you know, prides itself on you know, being all about the individual and caring about, you know, individual excellence and greatness. And yet it, it is so brutally alien to anyone different, to anyone who genuinely exhibits a different way of thinking 
you know, it's like mental ill. I was told I was mentally ill my whole life because I had like too much energy or I was asking too many questions or, you know, I had just too much for this system when it's like, if this system was even halfway good at what it does or what it claims to think that it do, is doing, it would be like, oh, you have an excess of energy. I'm going to turn you into a battery of some court, some sort, yeah. put you into some kind yeah. of wheel I mean and make you do something. You know, take your creative brain and be like, oh, draw, draw, you know, architectural yeah. drawings or draw things like this or design us new products. Or like I was drawing constantly and I was basically getting slapped on the hand by teachers because I, I didn't fit the very narrow sense set of like – parameters of what they think is important for me to be doing and it just it, it's all so toxic and to to be told your whole life you are sick for the way your brain works right is- and, and if you think about where do those where does that come from like where does that idea of who's sick who isn't comes from right abnormal uh, normal abnormal like who creates those criteria who decides right and who decides what the gold standard for normal is um and again that is inherently colonial. what colonialism Hierarchy. does right? right and even the forced conformity and assimilation so essentially there's one way there's one standard right gold standard everyone is compared in relation to that even the fact that we have nation states right? One type of structure around the world. Uh, Like medicine wasn't just asserted because it was the best, like colonial modern form of colonial medicine wasn't just asserted because it was the best form, but it was built as a result of colonialism as individual, like a diversity of traditional local healing systems were erased. And it was forced upon these communities and it's still here, right? Everywhere around the world, people practice Western medicine. Um, And just this idea that there's one way to be, it's one size fits all model, right? And that's the same logical binaries of any kind, right? Normal, abnormal, and who's considered abnormal or normal, right? And like, for example, the DSM-5, I guess psychiatry, that it would be, this is a good point to go into psychiatry. All of the diagnostic categories in psychiatry are social constructs and all of them, right? Psychiatry is a little more obvious than other fields of medicine where there is no biomarker. So there's not a single biological test you go take, right? Everything is subjective. So there is no inter-psychiatrist reliability, which means you can go to a different psychiatrist and get a laundry list of 50 diagnoses from each one. And that is kind of even ridiculous for modern medicine standards, right? So even given that medicine does a horrible job of addressing our health in general, right, it would be kind of ridiculous to go to a different oncologist and get a different cancer diagnosis, right? Like, that's not really acceptable. Like, I, I specialize in the diagnosis of infectious diseases. I do have to actually isolate the bug that's causing an infection. And there is a way of thinking about, whoa, well, we throw a bunch of drugs at the bug to figure out what, can, what kind of antibiotic can we give the patient based on what kills the bug, Psychiatry is the Wild West. There are no treatment guidelines. You can give anything to people. You can diagnose them with anything based on an arbitrary checklist, right? And the DSM-5, the word that it uses more than any other word is work and then school in terms Mm of how to pathologize people, right? People that are not doing well at work and school, which are the same thing. School is a factory for workers. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Uh, could I just really quickly, I want to make a correlation here. Uh, just a couple of moments ago in what you were just saying, you made a statement that to me sounded like you were, you were basically um, spelling out the fact that colonialized medicine caused an erasure of plant medicine, right? And if you haven't been on this show uh, yet, de- decriminalized nature, if you haven't talked to those folks yet, I would love to see the two of you um, connect and blow things up because that's what they do that's what they talk about is how we've got to get reconnected with what we call nature as if it's separate right. from ourselves but in that way learn to heal through our relationship with plants so and that it's is not something just... that's been taken care of or, i'm sorry taken from us paywalled and criminalized so not just plant medicine, right? That's one, like one alternative modality. So it's more so that there's thousands of different approaches to health and healing, right? And colonialism, what they, what it does is picks one and then forces it onto everybody else. And it is the best approach, the most dominant approach, right? right. Even the idea of domination, the idea that there's a superior inferior, that's a colonial idea, right? right. So it's more that there's spiritual approaches to, there's political approaches to health, right? And also mm-hmm. separating, it's not just even plants, because now you have people, because um, we talked about it, right? There's entire industries because capitalism does a really good job of co-opting things. So there's a self-care industry, there's a mental health industry, there's a wellness industry. Plants have been co-opted to give it like, you know, to, to give people these solutions that they can buy, right? Products. Right. So it's more that, that that like 
traditional healthcare systems did not look at individual health even as, as a concept really, that it was it was about community health, right? And, our, and community health was always tied to land. And that you can't take a cure, put it in a bottle, in a pill, and think that that's gonna do the job. Because right now microbes are being put into pills giving, given to people thinking that that's gonna fix our gut issues, right? Mm-hmm. When that's you can't do that in the context of not changing anything structurally about the society that we live in. Right. Yeah, I've gotten suckered many times by like some some new plant that's been unearthed from some corner of the globe that capitalism has figured out how to sell to me. You know, mm-hmm. oh, I need those adaptogens. Oh, I need the reishi. Yeah, oh, no, no, exactly. no, I, I need the spirulina. No, no, the moringa. You yeah. Know? So I want to kind of uh, sort of spiral our way into a different sort of direction here. I want to. I'm kind of picking up on this or thinking this uh, sort of spidey sense in my gut about the sort of conspiratorial nature of industries that interlock within capitalism. So we have our our toxic food system that obviously creates sickness in the body we have these you know fossil fuels that create these particulates in the air that ultimately feed into the pharmaceutical industries and these are all interconnected by our financial system which is the ultimate colonial superpower the ultimate you know uh blanket that makes all flattened down into the same shape that we have this monetary system this way of exchanging money and, and commodities for things that, that basically automatically algorithmically structures life into this shape and when it falls out when things don't Uh, fit the algorithm of making the money number go up bigger, then it doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. So I kind of want to, on that uh, note of like conspiracy, like capitalism is this organized conspiracy. This is something I wanted to ask you about uh, while we were filming that I didn't really get to that. How do you sort of uh, react to like the COVID-19 conspiracy sort of community and the anti-vaxxers and what's your perspective on that? I've never heard you speak to that. I'm sure you have, but I'm curious. And you certainly don't have to if you're not comfortable with it. No, no, there's nothing I'm not comfortable talking about. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No topic is off the table. Um, I think so. Shut down by the (laughs) globalists. Well, I think um, it's, I mean, we've talked about the, the whole idea that we've been raised in a uh, a society like we've been socialized under a very specific society right so we have to qu- question everything we think we know and i think that's like the first step to radicalization of any kind right and and this is why i even push back on on any sort of extreme binary of like oh leftists get it because they know a bunch of theory versus you know other working class rural people that don't identify as anarchists and abolitionists have no idea what they're talking about right like cuz cuz that feeds into the same like colonial bs <laughs> you don't need to actually intellectually read a bunch of theory to understand of this right amen um so so i think a lot of different people have actually gotten really close to figuring out what the problem maybe is and then there's a lot of things systemically in place to distract them right and i think that's a better way to think about it because COVID-19 brought up one very valid, it's like showed people that the healthcare system was a shit show, but also that, wait, there's kind of a problem when no one was healthy to begin with, right? And therefore, obviously, then when anything happens, you're just going to magnify compounding inequities, right? So if certain people were already sicker because they were chronically ill, they're going to be targeted by COVID. Well, yeah, (laughs) that's just how it works, right? Um, But beyond that, I think it made it really obvious, for example, with the COVID-19 like vaccine apartheid, right, that Till now, like it's like what 2.9% of Africa has gotten a single, like the African subcontinent has gotten a single dose of COVID-19 vaccine, right? Right away at the beginning, when vaccines came out with Pfizer and Moderna, people realized that like, oh, patents, <laughs> patents are preventing from the rest of the global South have it, from having access to vaccines, right? And this, it's just this like I almost think colonialism loves to pretend like it's so brilliant and so smart and give the illusion of intellectual intellectuality while being so fundamentally stupid, right? It's like how do you think you can restrict an infection to any corner of the world? Of course you fucking can't, right? So if you right. think you're just going to hoard all these vaccines and, and and you know give easy healthcare and specific treatments to rich people while everybody else is fighting for crumbs, well you're not as healthy as you think you are. And I think that also led to then this like bifurcation where you had on one hand valid mistrust of the medical system given all of what I just talked about, right? Yes. yes. And. Really, like valid mistrust coming from just history, ongoing mistreatment and abuse and torture of marginalized communities, right? And then you had also like the the Western anti-vax movement, which is largely just concentrated in privileged white communities, right? Liberal, a lot of them liberal communities uh, that are quote unquote on board with the climate crisis, right? On board with uh, eating organic and at the same time, you know, buying into the sort of like vaccines don't do anything, right? So 
it's so it's always complex and I don't like addressing like anything as though it's a binary because on one hand, yes, people have valid mistrust of the medical system for many reasons, right? And we should address that head on without pretending like it's a beacon of 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 light and healing, right? Which doesn't help and I think further drives mistrust because you're ignoring the very obvious like big elephant in the room, which is well, the healthcare system can never provide you with a prescription of food, water, shelter, and care. So how the hell does it actually care about you? We all know it doesn't, right? So let's not, but then how do you address vaccines are important, right? Well, look at where infectious diseases are the number one cause of death, right? In the global South, right? In the global South, it's very rare to see anti-vax movements because they have been extremely transformative in like at least moving forward some of the things that we used to die by, right? But still it is the number one cause of death. Whereas here, and in other high-income colonial countries, right? Um, it's like cardiovascular disease, stroke. There's other non-infectious diseases related just because the standard of living has gone up. There's more hygiene and sanitation in these countries, right? But when you look at black and brown communities here, when you look at poor rural communities here in the U.S., they have the exact same outcomes and they're dying at disproportionately higher rates from infectious diseases, just like anyone else in the global South. So that just tells you that a lot of the privilege comes from people feeling like like this, this sort of amnesia about the severe impact of infectious diseases that can that they can choose to have it's almost like a byproduct of vaccines working too well that people are now not aware of their absolute necessity because in the global south they are still there is a demand for vaccines constantly right because there's still not enough there's a demand for antibiotics because there's still not enough whereas here people can question whether we have to finish a course of antibiotics right so it's so complex and I feel like sometimes addressing that complexity can actually like alleviate the concerns these communities are having because you're not entirely gaslighting them, right? You're not saying, hey, you shouldn't be wary of pharmaceutical companies. Of course, Pfizer and Moderna was in it for profit the whole time. It was very obvious. Look at the vaccine apartheid. Like none of the other countries got it, right? So, but the fact that that's also a way to say, well, actually they do work because look at who's getting the vaccine, <laughs> right? Every rich person got vaccinated first. <laughs> so it's one of those things where you can't even address any of this by by falling into binaries or extremes of like everything works or everything doesn't. Absolutely. God, that was good. It's such a gas leak of an issue. You know, it is very difficult to talk about without sending people into these polarized traps. Oh yeah. It's, it's um, hard to talk about any of this without sending people into polarized tropes of like leftist conservative, like the the spring loaded, like, uh, associations that are embedded and impacted into every single thing. And this is like really the big thing I wanted to just personally for me, I mean, we, we could literally talk forever, but the thing I really wanted to talk about is the way that trauma yeah. is this physicalization of the mental, that it really is this the key for me personally to understanding how our system functions, how propaganda works, mm-hmm. how so many of these people are stuck in these these spring loaded dualities and yeah. reactions. Yeah. That can you talk about trauma and its role in all of this? And it, I think it just brings yeah. it all together. So even to begin talking about trauma, I'll, I'll try to define how I talk about it because main tra- the word trauma and everything related to quote unquote healing has been sufficiently co opted and sort of desecrated, <laughs> sterilized, whitewashed, right and reduced to some being meaningless, like what the hell does healing even mean anymore, right? Um, But the way I like to talk about trauma is thinking of it as a, through like a macro to micro lens where the systems that we live under, right? Oppressive systems create cultures of oppression, uh, which means that the society that we were born into, right? Like, and everything in terms of the norms that we were told to follow, what we were told we should do, must do, have to do in order to survive, um, along with environmental hazards, right? The toxins and the pollutants that we're exposed to, uh, along with the severance from land. So severance from land and community, missing some of the key things that we need to be healthy, right? It sort of creates a pressure cooker uh, that we're all living in, right? And I think it helps for us to think that one of the most key parts of what I think can allow us to get closer to the revolution is if people can understand how has living in this present society, right, living under these oppressive systems and these cultures of oppression, how has it shaped my overall well-being, right? And that can't be even limited to just physical health, right? How has it shaped the things that I tell myself I must do, should do, have to do? Uh, the things that, like your perception of the world and how you see yourself in it, right? The, the fact that we think of ourselves as individuals, like the illusion of individuality and how it's been drilled into us, right? Um, and I think that allows for a more compassionate approach 
to even understanding health, because we're not just defined by intergenerational trauma. We're like, sure, generations of people in our families have been impacted by living under capital colonial systems, right? But at the same time, I think understanding where your pain actually comes from may actually lead you to not just targeting the root cause of your pain, but then thinking beyond it eventually, right? Like once you really understand that, yes, trauma has impacted us, but at the same time, communities across time have found a way to push back against oppression, right? Exist beyond it, despite it, and create intergenerational tools of healing, right? So it's really complex because the conditions that we've been raised in, right? Part of it is, yeah, we've been raised in cages and that's going to affect how we think and how we live and how we act, right? Um, And I think one of the most important things with with, uh, thinking about trauma is what's familiar to you is going to feel safe, right? Whether it's actually safe or not. Um, And so oppression, any sort of oppression can be normalized if it's just titrated out enough, right? If it's gradually something that you're exposed to and you're told this is just how the world is. And that actually serves a very important role in why it's so hard for us to break systems of oppression because people don't even recognize it as oppression, right? That's kind of the sort of insidiousness of late stage capitalism because not we're not necessarily living in a world where majority of us, a lot of us are subject to very overt state sanctioned violence, but a lot of us are also told we're free, right? We don't necessarily have uh, goons coming to put guns to our head and force us to work. The plantation's still here, right? We're all indentured servants, but at the same time, since you're born, you're told you're free. You're told you can just work your way up, right? Climb the ladder. You can, you know, if you just work hard enough, you'll get to potential security and safety in the future, right? This carrot is eternally sort of dangled in front of you. And people underestimate, like, we've never, like, this even idea that mental health, liberal mental health takes of addressing trauma as it's though, you know, at best a isolated event or a period of your life that was traumatic or, oh, it was just a traumatic family. I feel like all of those are just very reductive ways of looking at it, right? It's, we, we've all been raised in a very traumatic society and there's different manifestations of that. There's obviously different nuances and levels to trauma, right? Given that um, intersectionality, like more boulders on your back can, can, can just crush you more, right? Yes. And that's kind of like, the different intersections of different identities come to that. But at the same time, it's not ever going to be reduced to uh, a single small thing, right? It's it's just a society that we live in. Yeah, that's that's the goods right there. Um, I just want to say a real like quick little tr- concentrated thing that I wrote out the other day that I feel like was really relevant to this, that people would rather believe that they're a loser and a failure than accept that they lack free will, that they have been, that their lives mm-hmm. have been shaped by forces far beyond their control that cause them pain and ruin intentionally. Admitting you've been disempowered is the first step to regaining control. And so it's like, it really ultimately goes so far beyond like a thing that happened to you, that trauma is something that we are inoculated with 10,000 times a day by this culture that is inherently abusive and oppressive. I'm in New York City, New York, you know, can't, can't help but talk about it. Every single time you walk down the street and you don't make eye contact to somebody is a sort of trauma because there's a part of us that yearns for social connection that is hardwired for it. Like we're not crocodiles. We, when, when we see somebody fucking take a spill and get hit in the nuts, we feel it physically. Mm -hmm. Like when someone else starts crying, we start, we feel it. We have a, a, a social impulse in us that is smashed down so many times per day. And that reinforces these stories, these core narratives, these propagandized beliefs that the world is a scary place, that we can't trust each other, that we have to steal things and the military needs to maintain control and we need hierarchies and we need to be told what to do. These things are not just stories we believe. They are reinforced through these internal whips and chains and lashes that bring us to spring back to this this baby blanket little ideology of like, oh no, I need to think this. I need to think this because I can't deal with the reality. I can't address this this eruptive bursting like like inferno of feeling and love and truth and, and honor and dignity and beauty and and pain that I feel every day that people just can't acknowledge how painful and in a, life is. I mean, is. in a weird way, like feeling those things is what has allowed all empires to fall, right? People have figured it out somehow over time and time over again, simple things, right? Eventually, uh, like, I, like I said, we're not just defined by our trauma, right? Like we've had intergenerational tools of love, healing, other collectivist cultures before us have already passed down like ways of being that can allow us to be, be free, right? Whether it's creative, like creative expressions, art, music, taking care of our land, farming and more 
more regenerative ways, we've already been passed down. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel entirely, right? right. Um, and I think if anything, that's more of a testament to this, if like the hope that this this can catalyze, right? Like, because I think it can be kind of scary when people think, oh, it's not me. Um, it's the system. And they sometimes can translate that to thinking, oh, good God, there's nothing I can do about that, right? But I think that's that maybe at some point some arc of the journey where that can feel you can feel like that right that despair can take over but this is where um there i think is the next arf, arc of the journey where we're not just defined by our rage and suffering and pain but we can simultaneously experience joy and connection and love and care right what are we when we're not just running away from something what are we running towards right um and i think like a lot of frame political frameworks have do address that pretty well right like even anarchy focusing on there is no end the means is all we have right that we can do liberation today in different ways, right? Like there's, if you think of it as a pie, uh, a tiny slice of the pie will always be, there's certain things where our hands are truly tied systemically, right? I do have to go to work or whatever, do something, right? To pay rent for now, right? And at the same time, there's a huge part of the pie that are things that we've told ourselves we should do, must do, have to do, right? And it can be liberating realizing that there is no me in the individual sense. Everything I've been through has made me me, which means if I change my social conditions now, that will actually help my health, that will actually help my well-being, right? So then you ask yourself, what has capitalism and colonialism deprived you of? And those are actually quite simple. It's deprived you of time, it's deprived you of rest. It's deprived you of connection to land. It's deprived you of community. And those are everything. That's it. That's the solution then, right? So rather than just trying to cure yourself and get nowhere with that, <laughs> right, that actually points you to real, like if the root cause is a severance from community, then a damn good solution is building community, right? And that can't solve every problem, but it can actually like change the trajectory of, of, of our collective liberation forever, right? So it's not even just the big things. It actually starts with the day-to-day -day stuff, right? The relationship building, the everyday actions in terms of how you apply praxis, right? Like how do you actually show up with your liberation values, but every day? Not, it's not big, right? It's kind of the day-to-day -day thing. Uh, I, I'm uh, envisioning a, a vicious feedback loop here and hearing all you're saying there, and I'm going to try to coherently articulate it. Um, obviously, what the two of you are talking about or speaking to would what pe some people would call Stockholm Syndrome, uh, which, funny enough, is in of itself a mental illness, you could say, because of how we have been conditioned uh, through trauma from, you know, the day we're born, uh, living in an environment that's obviously toxic and abusive and causing us to become sicker and sicker through the years, not understanding where the disconnect is and why we are the way we are and so on and so forth, if you, as you've described. And uh, you, I think it was you um, who said it a moment ago, something along the lines of, I'm sorry, I've got really low brain energy today. Um, People getting trauma. over the hump. Yeah, I've got a lot of trauma, y'all, let me tell you. Um, getting over the hump and just accepting the fact that we've been on the wrong path for a while, but there is a solution and we could accept that solution and go forward. I think it's not so much despair and fear as it is shame. And again, I think that ties into the, the whole colonial mindset and aspect of running a society from a colonial hierarchical standpoint and the superiority, inferiority paradigm where you've got the people who are always right and know what to do and how to take care of us and the people that are inherently under that paradigm always wrong and too dumb to govern themselves and be autonomous and what have you. I think it's a shame thing when I look into somebody's eyes as I'm trying to tell them that they have a choice. There are other options. This is not the best way to be living. And this really isn't even a community as we call it or even a civilized society. What I see in their eyes are shame. Like they might for a minute have to accept the fact that they were wrong or the people they loved who raised them that way were wrong. And I think that that is what leads to the fear of, of accepting that there's, there's another way. And there, and this, this, you know, like, like we, we are this interconnected species that has the, uh, not, not only the ability, but really the obligation to take care of each other and to love each other and do better. Yeah, I think shame is maybe a byproduct of, of, of maybe some of the acceptance of, of how we've all been complicit, right? Like we're all being oppressed while we're complicit in oppression. That's just how the system works. Um, but also I think the fear, so it's both, right? Like shame can prevent us from uh, learning, right? Because learning is fundamentally uncomfortable. I like to just think of it more as like positivity is this like illusion that's created in like 
Western society almost this chase of positivity, right? Mm -hmm. Without realizing that like we cannot experience joy, contentment, happiness without actually working through sorrow, grief, pain, like shame, yes. guilt, et cetera, right? Yeah. Like it's all two sides of the same coin type thing. So, <laughs> so I think, but I think fear is really important, right? Like what maintains systems of oppression? If you can, and that's really the cage that capitalism, colonialism builds for us, right? It's, right. it's t we're terrified. If we conflate familiarity with safety, then we're terrified of the unknown, terrified of, of what's unfamiliar, right? So liberation is Absolutely. to us actually terrifying. It feels terrifying to be free, right. right? If we've never, ever had agency to actually feed ourselves, to, to build houses for each other, to clothe each other, to take care of each other, the idea of not having to turn to authoritarian figures, the idea of not having to rely on the state, which is all you've ever had, right? So it just happens to feel safe because it's all you've ever had. And the propaganda right? Not because it's either. actually safe. Yeah. Telling us right. we would be so, free, that would mean that we would be terrible people that would hurt each other and burn down right. the planet. Right. So fear is, is what tool. we're doing now. <laughs> Is hurting each other and burning down yeah, the planet. Yeah, so fear, I think, is this very critical tool that maintains oppression because you're just telling people that anything else is the monster you know is better than the monster you don't know, right? But what if liberation wasn't actually a monster at all? But we don't necessarily somatically know the difference, right? Yes. Um, and even pushing back on like, so I don't even use the the framework of just mental illness anymore to be able to even address mental health because we can just understand our distress as a logical response to systems of oppression yes. right as our or our differences as well yeah there's a thousand different ways of being and thinking so why would there be one way to to be or exist right, right. um so i think even the hyper categorization of of like our distress into these like mental health labels is, is almost not as helpful just because it gets people to think oh there's something about me intrinsically right um that makes me depressed flaw. or anxious or right like um marla go ahead <laughs> I got a, a kind of a big tangent here, so bear with me. But there's just a couple of things that I want to work in here. This is really what I've been feeling, and it's just been. It, I, I'm such a like a social, sympathetic, externally motivated person that like I can't just sit down and stare at my camera and like do a rant. I need to do it with somebody. Like the person that I'm talking to really determines like the caliber and the quality and the the frequency of the words that I want to say and the feelings that I get in me. And so you're the person that I really wanted to like bring this out of me. Maybe that sounds selfish or something. I don't know what that sounds like, but that's just me. Sounds like teamwork. Yeah, I, I just, I feel like that we're so in, inoculated into trauma and shame is the microdose that keeps us every minute of every day, like internalizing it and whipping ourselves in this prison that is individualism, that we think that it's our fault and our problem. And there's only me. And, mm -hmm. and the only solution is for me to pull myself up on my bootstraps and clean my room mm -hmm. and buy Jordan Peterson's book. And so it's just like, <laughs> I think about all these things kind of swirling together, like free will is really just the mm -hmm. thing that keeps coming back to that. I think about this awareness that what, what we were just saying that about mental illness doesn't exist. Jacques Fresco said, all people are perfectly adapted to their environment perfectly adapted the sociopath the serial killer perfectly adapted to the things that they went through they went through experiences where you and any other person and i think this is at the core of like so much spiritual truth of things that jesus was talking about of things that all these mystics were saying is like i am you you love your neighbor as yourself because you are your neighbor because if you went through their yeah. circumstances and you went through the trauma you would do the did, exact you same would thing them. Yeah. You would, and because we're human beings because we don't have the kind of free will we're just blindly bumping around making choices we are structurally sort of mandated by our environment into these decisions. Like, what would it require? I also just asked myself then, what would it require for us to actually know who we are in a way where we're like, for sh like sure about who we, we are, right? We haven't internalized the values of the empire. These are just my idea. Like, that would require, like, what, what gives us safety? Actual safety comes from us feeling supported and loved and cared for unconditionally, yes. right? If we have a communal safety net that we can fall back on, uh, that actually allows us the safety to go explore, right? Where we actually have free will to, 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 to feel out who we are, right? To feel out how we can belong in community, how what our role in community may be, then whatever we come out the other end is going to involve us being truly authentically ourselves, right? So right now it's just, I have to accept that there's gonna be a big chunk of me that isn't necessarily like who I chose to be. It's just whatever I made sense of myself given the cages Reactions. that I've been raised in, right? Yes. Um, but at the same time, that also tells you, well, how could I get closer to figuring out who the hell I actually am? Community, right? 
being in community, like being in reciprocal, healthy relationships, right? Being in community, being in different contexts of community where I can, like, we're meant to be raised by a village, not two people, right? Yes. So can you imagine how difficult it would be for us to have a very binary, closed mindset if we were raised by uh, like 60 different people that are very different, think differently, act differently, behave differently, care about different things? It's the kid coming out of that kind of setting, right? Is an open minded person who understands that what makes us stronger as a community is a diversity and multitudes uh, of different ways of being, right? That there is no two or three ways to think or even one way to think, right? So it's 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 kind of interesting that like even now if we realize that, then building community ultimately has made me realize who I am in relation to other people, right? Oh, this is what I actually care about. Oh, this actually makes me really happy. But what lets me even explore is having some sort of safety, even whether it's within a container of a specific community or within a container of a healthy relationship, right? So even despite the overarching context of oppression that we exist in, that's where I think it can help once people realize that the things that you do every day changes, right? Like eventually when you realize it's okay if you've just prioritized climbing the ladder so far, it's okay if you've chased the carrot of success, right? right? It, that takes the shame what away. What could you use have it, done? what you've accumulated and right. gained to like, share to other people What could you have done, up. right? Like it's okay. So if you were born into wealth, fine, redistribute it, right? If you just, I very much bought into the narrative of like, I got out of my village, I for like, honestly, it, it sucked for me to have to some extent belong to like quite well and fit in quite well when I like erased my own culture, erased my own language and tried to fit into like academic elitist spaces. Right. And now I'm realizing if I just like, if that guilt ate away at me, I would do nothing. Right. But I realized that was designed to happen. Like that pattern tracks people around the world are acting like this. There is nothing about me that's unique and that's liberating. Knowing my problems aren't unique, knowing my pain is not unique, knowing the shit that I do, my bullshit is not unique. There's people all around the world doing this. There's something liberating about that, right? Because you realize, holy shit, people around the world are trying to figure it out. People around the world, like I don't have to have the exact same pain as someone else to realize that, wow, we can actually like share our struggle, right? That also means liberation is something inevitably bound together, right? that if I can find healthier relationships, I can be free in that container, right? Maybe in that relationships are where we can literally apply values of liberation today, right? If we wanted to, it's not going to be easy. And I know that, right? So whatever I'm familiar with is going to be what I try to default to. But when I know that, then I can sort of microdose on change, right? Learn to sit with discomfort a little bit, right? Because learning anything is going to feel uncomfortable if you have to first dismantle what you thought you knew, right? And I think even realizing that gives you a little bit more compassion for yourself because I know there's all there's bullshit today and this is a lifelong journey. There is no end point, right? There's no point where we're healed. There's no point where we're radicalized enough. And that's, I think, the like caveat of trying to take down the matrix while having to plug in and out of it, right? We just do. We have to. So, of course, we're going to keep falling back on things. Of course, we're going to fall back on our patterns. Of course, we're going to fall back on like going back to something that we thought we had, quote, unquote, healed from, right? As long as we have compassion to realize, oh, I did it again, <laughs> right? This is a lifelong journey of I already know there's certain things I am getting wrong right now that I'm probably going to realize in two months, right? That's just the nature of this, like just living in the world that we live in. But I think that allows us to approach the unknown with more curiosity than fear, Definitely. right? Definitely. Like I wonder what I'm gonna. Because you already know learn. that you're making mistakes, so you give right. yourself allowance to continue yeah. making mistakes on the premise that you're going to learn and expand. And, and the become... only way you'll do that is in community, right? Yes. The only way you're ever gonna do that is in community. That's that's the value of do where accountability can be a beautiful thing, not just something we run from, right? If we're in reciprocal relationships where someone says, "Hey, I don't know," it, it sounds like you're. Projecting, and I'm now like, oh, good God, I probably am. <laughs> so, and then you just you learn and you move on. That ten different people can say, actually, I see it this way. Yeah, I think you're right. And instead of a way of just a bunch of strangers online calling you out for it and being yeah. like, yeah, you're fucking too faced, or like, and that happens, this, or I dig up because of hyper individualized culture. Because we're all supposed to be competing so hard against each other. Well, yeah, and I mean that's the irony of like a lot of the problems you see on the quote unquote left are uh, people falling back on capitalism and individual 
individualism and colonialism as a way to try to solve them, right? So right. people approaching everything from a domination, like seeking to dominate, right? Seeking to be right rather than to be free, wanting to win yes. an argument rather than learning to like understand, Ego. right? So those are like people just not realizing. And this is where doing activism as though it's something that's external to you, where you're just going to have to go pick up a megaphone and advocate for something, right? Without realizing that like, no, 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 you've been traumatized by the system that you live in. Everything you, you think you know, you, you are, are the, the system. system. Exactly. And, Everything and is, you think you know. The, this is the kind of part two of like that other that initial tangent is that like we're all just reactions of reactions of reactions of reactions of reactions because yep. we don't recognize the state that we're in. We don't recognize that we're all fired up on trauma and hurled into this direction. And I just think that like, like dominoes. the root of capitalism, the root of where this came from is a trauma is eventually or somewhere back in our deep history, someone was traumatized. Someone had trust taken from them. A fucking log fell on them and they couldn't trust people. And I don't know what it was, but somebody in a healthy, sane community <laughs> where they were adapted to their environment, it could have well, been a mass climatic change. And, and it I mean, them, it adapted and pushed them out of that safety and trust. And they started to accumulate and hoard and dominate because they felt like they had to. Because right. And I mean, and, and again, it's not even a binary of like, I don't want people to think of, of, of like, they're nothing but their trauma, right? That's not true either, right? Like, despite what we've been through, I, we found ways to like, seek safety and friendships, like as kids, right? Where there's something that we realize, I care about you, and I'm going to show up for you every day without a binding contract. What just because we're fun, we're having fun together. That's it. That's, That's the point of life. Our right? So we've done it. So we've done so it, much. even if it's having friends as kids, right? Like we figured out that, that, that there's something something beyond this right we figured out through time like and i think even people thinking that white like white people don't have culture is honestly one of these sad things where it's like people have always existed outside the confines of capitalism and colonialism right so in order for colonialism to be successful whatever is considered again it being a social construct white cultures had to be erased collectivist cultures had to be erased first right and then whatever like capitalism is the absence of culture that's what it really is right it's, and now you have a bunch of existential crisis right people are walking around saying what's the point what's the point because everything that gives their life meaning and purpose has been taken from them right the land direct connection to the land direct connection to people right such that everything you do is actually impacting people not going to like made up profit centers and also just unmediated unmediated contact we don't have right, direct right contact. like not we have to mask right, up with right. money we have to mediate our exchanges right and transactionality it has, it can't yeah. be truly flowing circulatory reciprocal with this you know i i i owe you this and you owe me that and we're square it's like we can't just be free together we can't be free to not fucking tally and quote our all of our fucking interactions and, and on the note of the, everything meaningful and purposeful has been taken from us, uh, proxies are being sold back to us, you know, whatever you need. Oh, is, yeah, exactly. So they do a good job of taking advantage of our intrinsic need for connection, right? right? Or saying, hey, you know, like, you do need a connection to you. How about you go escape in this cabin somewhere else or go to this meditation retreat in the middle of nowhere? It's taking an intrinsic need that people have to belong. Because why are, cons like, conservative, like, Reddit so successful? Right? right it's taking advantage of an intrinsic need that people have to receive validation from in community to be yes, seen to, to be heard to want to belong to something far it's it's odd because it shows that people actually don't like being individuals they always want to be part of something far greater than themselves yes right being an individual is boring of course we want to be part of something that's much bigger than ourselves and then it takes advantage of that and 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 sort of like you know co-ops it right <laughs> and but i think you we can learn from that too boring. saying that like there's there certain things that we can work on in terms of not being so binary even on the left about like who we talk to who we don't talk to right uh, because trauma is being aware that like people have been raised in these systems so maybe if we just skip the jargon and just talk to another human being by trying to understand their life right trying to understand where they come from right that's you know that you can make connections about how like you deserve so much better right starting there as opposed to like here's a lecture on capitalism right because we all know uh, beyond all of the political jargon that people out there even the most conservative people understand that they're frustrated because of something right they're tired and exhausted and depleted because of something right and maybe we can speak to that rather than made up sort of intellectual bs Right. Yeah. Just speaking, you said something earlier. I, I can't remember the exact tangent, but it's basically like we need to feel sad. We need to feel anger yeah. and pain and yeah. pity. And, and we feel these things in, inherently. And it is such a powerful fuel source that the right wing is completely dominated by it. They are so good at manipulating fear and tra and that trauma that that white people feel that they they're scared of their shit being taken away from them because that's the basis of their whole society. And so yeah. we need to be able to one like in our own selves, like 
go beyond the individual. That's something I'm just obsessed with. And it, it's so integral and so important that to, we need to realize like your dreams, your individual personalized dreams to get the girl and get the job and get all this dumb shit is yeah. piss ant shit. It is so mm -hmm. small. And it's just like we as individuals cannot conceive of our utility in nature. Like leaves do not have a big eyeball that just points them right in the immediate direction they go. They like work and find toward it and they, they gravitate. Just do it, right. And, and I think that's part of getting inspiration from nature, right? Like understanding that like we are part of nature. We're not separate from it, which means that we have the same needs as every other living being. And they're already doing it without a government controlling them or having a boss, right? That they're already in complex <laughs> inter-interspecies collaborative interactions. It's not competition. Trees don't go yeah. to the right but i mean it tells us that there is there is like both chaos and order at the same time it just works out right and there's something hopeful about that knowing that like we will get there we will figure it out because fear is unsustainable right no matter how much you terrify and scare the shit out of people at some point they will fear you will get numb to it at some point you have nothing to lose right and we are getting so close to people having nothing to lose anymore right that's really and what that's late stage capitalism has pushed us right but love love is sustainable fear is not a good motivator right fear you're going to run out of that at some point love is a sustainable motivator people will do anything for love right and have no regrets about it because that's how that's how our communities work right that's the like force of life that's flowing between microbes and plants and animals and then flowing into us like just love care right we don't need to do anything else we care and that's enough right i don't need a profit incentive i just fucking care and that's enough to keep me going for the rest and of my life until i die and beyond right yeah right like i hope my rotting body is like home to like a thriving ecosystem right <laughs> love it's just it works love is all of us realizing ourselves through each other that's the essence of health isn't it community ecology <laughs> i love aisha more to come with her. And I love you, dear listener. And of course, if you loved that episode, do the thing and like and subscribe and share and all that jazz. Follow Aisha at Woke Scientist. Subscribe to her Cosmic Anarchy newsletter. Head to her website for ways you can practice decolonial medicine at the personal, ecological, and community level. And please support the mutual aid projects she's always boosting up as an act of true self-love. Mutual aid. Do it for your health. As always, thanks for listening. And... More to come, always. The fight goes on. Remember, it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. <laughs>